Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a good weekend, and we're ready to go. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate you making us a part of your day. Busy uh, week ahead. A lot of uh, places, schools are opening up today, including here where I'm at, so we wish them all the very best. And here's what we're going to talk about today. Weather is certainly a story. We're watching how this... uh, growing season wraps up many places could use some rain we have some storms that we're watching of course uh, and see what impact they could have on uh, the weather in other parts of the country we'll talk with dtm meteorologist bryce anderson about that we're going to talk beef trade today with kent backus with the national cattlemen's beef association updates with china and japan what's going on with the talks with the uk and eu we'll get updates on all that and we're going to talk apples as well today with jim bear President and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. But we're going to start today off and the week off with Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, good to talk with you again. How are you? Oh, good morning, Mike. I am fantastic. (laughs) Thanks for asking. It's going to be an interesting week. Last week we heard uh, the Democrats uh, with their view on things. This week we hear the Republicans' view on things. And it's going to be interesting to see how rural America feels about it. Absolutely. You know, Mike, I have seen more outreach this round from the Democrats than ever before. They are really making an all-out push. They had a big night of bringing ag leaders together for a discussion during the DNC. Um, And they've had a lot of different uh, op-eds and letters that they've been writing. So they have clearly understood the importance of rural America to the presidential election. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the Republicans respond to that. Uh, the Democrats seem to be kind of in a in a position where they don't necessarily have to win. They they're just trying to make a dent in what has been a Republican stronghold, and it remains to be seen if they can do that or not. Well, absolutely. You know, in a lot of rural areas, the support for President Trump has remained strong, but that's not without some of the decline that we've seen as people have looked at the lack of clarity on these SREs, the small refinery exemptions on ethanol, the uncertainty over trade, and certainly the overall farm economy. If we didn't have all the CFAP payments and all the other supports that have been coming out of the federal treasury, then we'd be in much more of a world of hurt than we already are in farm country. But overall, the people I talk to still keep telling me that when you look at the Democratic agenda, um, there's not been a lot there for Republicans to convert. But as you said, it's not really the game there. What they need to do is sway some independence and keep some people uh, from having such a huge margin in, in these states. I think it, it really, a, a lot of it comes down to do voters in rural America credit President Trump for these payments to help them through this time, or do they blame him and his administration's policies for putting them into this position that they need him? I think that that's the question in, that will be in many voters' minds. Absolutely, and they're also going to be talking about the president's response on COVID and you know whether or not they really want to make that check for four more years. So I, I do think it's going to be interesting for a lot of people to watch the approach that's rolled out this week versus the approach that was rolled out last week by the Democrats. So we'll we'll be watching that closely. Some other things uh, to be watching. Um, it seems like we almost each day, each week, we see a, another story about maybe a potential trade problem with Mexico. Here we are into USMCA, but we see some issues that are going to have to be resolved. There's several, and it's really concerning. I know at the top levels of the White House and certainly at USTR, there's a lot of concern over what they just recently did on glyphosate to say that they're going to be banning it in the coming uh, year. And then also looking at what they're doing right now on potatoes, you might have seen that we had in our daybreak this morning that um, there's a group of senators who have weighed in saying that these restrictions on U.S. potatoes, they can't be shipped more than 16 miles over the border because they say that there's some phytosanitary concerns, and that's just nuts. 
So there's a, a lot of things that should have been cleared up by now, and they're not, and they, they seem to be potentially getting worse. Yeah, those are key issues. And meanwhile, there's a trade dispute between the U.S. and Brazil on ethanol. Yes, we've got a lot of and people, again, the letter writing has continued. Uh, this president has had a what he calls a great relationship with the Brazilian president, but that's going to be one of the issues that we continue to watch. Yeah, his relationship with the ethanol industry, though, has been off and on, up and down, and uh, some real concerns in the U.S. ethanol industry. Well, you probably saw that when the president was in Iowa last week looking at that just terrible devastation from the the storm that went from, you know, one border to the other and on into Illinois, uh, it really was devastating. And Senator Joni Ernst talked to the president about resolving the ethanol issue on the SREs. He said he would look into it personally, but uh, there's very few people that think there's going to be a decision on that before the election. And the Ag Department is uh, making some changes on eligibility rules for commodity programs. Uh, what should we watch for there? Well, the in-depth story is on our AgriPulse website. But basically what USDA is rolling out today is a final rule looking to make it tougher for members of some of the largest family farm operations to get federal subsidies. Basically, they're saying that active managers have to provide either 25% of its management or 500 hours of time. Uh, there's some discussion that it probably won't affect that many families because, you know, so many of these uh, aren't that uh, of that scale. Uh, but we're going to be watching closely just to see how it's actually rolled out and, and what the impact will be. Certainly seems to be a victory for those who have been calling for uh, tightening these limitations, like Senator Grassley from Iowa and Fort Ferry, the congressman from Nebraska. Meanwhile, after getting a lot of criticism about the slow pace of payments in, for CFAP, uh, last week we saw a, a bigger jump in the numbers, and we'll see what happens this week. So uh, more money starting to go out through that program. Yeah, it's been somewhat of a, of a mystery, but I guess shouldn't be totally unsurprising because there's some of these commodities who have never applied for farm programs before, and so growers have to learn the process, and they have to get signed up, and it's not like they can automatically send in an email and say, hey, I'm ready. Uh, there's a lot of prep that has to go into that. So uh, I think USDA is catching back up with some of these new growers who have not been receiving payments in the past or maybe haven't qualified in the past. All right, Sarah, lots going on. It's going to be an interesting week ahead. Thank you for being with us to kind of set the stage. We'll talk again next week. Great. Thanks, Mike. Have a good week. Take you too. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Well, lots going on with the weather. Some big storms we're watching to see what happens with them and the impact on other parts of the country. Do they send some moisture to some of the areas that are needing it as we uh, wrap up this growing season? A lot of areas especially could use uh, another rain to finish off the bean crop. But uh, we'll talk about all that next with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, well, one of the upgrades to NAFTA in the new USMCA was supposed to be in the area of dairy. And I want to get an update, see how that is going here in the early stages of USMCA. We're joined now by Shauna Morris, Vice President Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Shauna, thanks for joining us. How's it going so far here in the early stages of USMCA from a dairy perspective? Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, I'd say in the early stages of USMCA, uh, we're still hopeful about the tremendous promise that this agreement has for dairy farmers and dairy manufacturers. But it's also very clear from this early start of the process so far that a lot more work's ahead of the U.S. in order to get the full benefits of those uh, commitments that we extracted from Canada as well as from Mexico under USMCA. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you. Cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz, $1,000. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home, all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thanks for joining us. A couple big storms uh, we're watching and see what impact they could have on other parts of the country. What can you tell us? Well, we've got uh, the uh, tropical storm hurricane Marco system that is uh, just uh, very close to the Louisiana coast right now. And uh, it's starting to bring some uh, some locally heavy rain into the central Gulf Coast, Mike. Uh, north into parts of uh, Georgia, Alabama, and uh, the Florida And then not too far away, there is uh, the tropical storm Laura that may become a hurricane as well and could make landfall later this week uh, within, I don't know, 50 miles or so of where Marco uh, makes landfall. And uh, that, uh, that weather system, that storm, is then going to probably put some quite heavy rain into the Delta, north into the Ohio Valley, the Tennessee Valley, and then on into the eastern Great Lakes, so basically through the eastern Midwest. And uh, these two storms are, are also going to, of course, cause the threat of uh, flooding and uh, storm surge flooding uh, as they make landfall. So they are uh, definitely Okay, Bryce, you're cutting in and out on us a little bit, so we hope uh, we can get a, a stronger signal from you, but uh, you're cutting in just cutting in and out just a bit. Talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, is, uh, he's bringing us up to date on those big storms, Marco and Laura, and uh, the impact they could have in other parts of the country. No doubt, Bryce, uh, we have uh, parts of the Midwest uh, here at the end of the growing season that really could use some rain. They're, they could. Uh, hopefully these comments are coming through okay, Mike. Uh, Much better, yeah. The, uh, good. The western Corn Belt especially is in uh, a real need of rainfall with the uh, state of Iowa just about entirely covered in some phase of drought according to the drought monitor, except for the extreme uh, northeastern part of Iowa uh, from about the Quad Cities north to Dubuque and then the southern two tiers of counties, far southwest and southern Iowa, but, you know, the, the fat part of the state for crop production is, um, of course, uh, in some respects, dealing with the aftermath of the terrible uh, derecho storm two weeks ago. 
And uh, then more importantly, uh, from about east-central Iowa, west to the Missouri River, uh, we're talking about um, severe to extreme drought, drought level 2 to drought level 3 on the drought monitor. This is a flash drought that kind of set in from uh, the uh, 1st of July all the way now into late August. And uh, there's certainly going to be some yield drawdown on uh, corn production, and possibly we could see it in soybeans if uh, conditions do not uh, actually bring some rainfall here over the next uh, week to week and a half. Uh, Rainfall looks to be pretty light, you know, less than one inch over much of this real dry area. So that's a a problem, and uh, it's just uh, continuing to uh, kind of uh, chew away at yield potential in this part of the Corn Belt. Even other parts of the... uh of the Midwest that aren't as dry as that could still use some rain in many places, especially for the beans here to finish off. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Meanwhile, uh, we've had a break in temperatures, but now they're starting to kind of, it looks like the next few days they're going to be going up as well. Well, you've got heat advisories in effect uh, between uh, Interstate 80 and Interstate 90 now in quite a bit of the uh, northeastern part of the plains and then through the north-central Midwest. Uh, that's going to be around uh, during probably the next couple days. And uh, between now and Thursday, uh, we're going to see a lot of temperatures, uh, especially west of the Mississippi, get into the mid to upper 90s for the actual temperature. And then the heat index values are going to top 100. This is the hottest that we've seen for a couple of years. And uh, you get this kind of late season heat with the uh, recent dryness that we've had it really does pull away uh, yield potential. And in fact, Mike, I have heard that there is some silent cutting uh, beginning in northwestern Iowa because of how dry things have gotten. I mean, there's you know, just been the uh, drawdown in crop moisture to the point that if you let it go for too long, uh, there's not even going to be any good uh, silage uh, capability in some of those corn areas. So it's a it's definitely a late-season drought that we're seeing, and uh, it's uh, causing quite a few areas of concern. Yeah, and we know that, boy, when you look down in areas like Texas and, and further out west, they've been de- dealing with this heat, extreme heat, for some time now. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Um, from about uh, south-central Texas on uh, west uh, all the way to the Pacific coast, uh, this uh, pervasive dry and hot pattern has been uh, just uh, incredible. I, I'll be honest with you, um, it's hard for me to look at the pictures of the wildfires in California because uh, they're so they're so ugly, uh, they're so horrific. Um, I've had the chance to visit some of the areas that are, are being burned so badly uh, in the Bay Area and uh, in Northern California, uh, and to uh, to know what to, you know what kind of a scenic part of the country that is uh and then to have it just uh, go up in flames it's incredible uh to think about and and it uh, really is uh is damaging and then uh farther east we know that colorado has had uh, terrific fires uh with the smoke from colorado making its way into the uh, skies in western nebraska as well and uh in the range country of northern wyoming it has been uh, so dry and hot that uh, grasshoppers are just going crazy. Uh, my colleague, our livestock analyst, uh, Shaley Stewart, who lives in the Sheridan, Wyoming area, uh, has uh, sent pictures of grasshoppers just, um, you know, just uh, crowding on uh, on the uh, on the stems of grass plants. You know, just uh, uh, devastating uh, the foliage there. So there's a lot of concern now in the pasture country about uh, pasture supplies, early hay feeding, availability of forage uh, as we go through the winter season. Yeah, a lot of late-season challenges here. And the dry weather also impacts uh, uh, levels on the rivers. You know, last year we were concerned about water levels too high. Now there are some concerns about water levels too low for transportation. Yeah, it, it's been it's been a rough uh, two or three year stretch in the barge industry. There's no doubt about it because, as you mentioned a year ago, uh, barge traffic was hard to sustain because the uh, river level was so high that it uh, it was dangerous for uh, for barges at that time. And now there's uh, such a drawdown 
that uh, there's not enough volume to support the kind of tows that you need to really move uh, uh, grain and other commodities. So it's uh, it's been a, a real uh, bad uh, scenario here in this mid to late part of the summer. Uh, everything since about the 1st of July has uh, turned uh, the other way in terms of rainfall by a real notable uh, direction. Had we not had that uh, that tropical storm Cristobal uh, moved kind of through the Mississippi Valley back in June, uh, I don't know where we'd be in uh, some of these areas of the Mississippi uh, Valley system on rainfall because that was a, a real uh, blessing, as it turned out, with the kind of rain that it brought into that part of the Midwest. So that kind of is the picture that we have for the end of August. What's it look like moving into September? Well, September is looking uh, on a pretty warm note uh, for temperatures uh, over just about all the major crop areas. Now, over the far north, we might have uh, more of a near-to-above-normal track, but uh, it is going to stay on the warm side through September, in our view. Uh, one of one benefit of that is that I think that crops are going to have a, a pretty extended uh, season for maturity and dry down along with harvest, and so that would be better for harvest uh, weather, obviously. Uh, the precipitation still looks to be uh, mainly near to below normal, except for the southeast, and that would be from tropical activity. Uh, so that's not going, we're not looking at a, a widespread late round of uh, precip. And when you think about the, uh, the need for moisture in the Southern Plains wheat belt uh, for planting next year's wheat crop, winter wheat crop, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of moisture that forms to uh, offer a, a great deal of soil moisture either. And, and as we get into September, uh, there is probably going to be more attention paid to that because uh, we'll be getting closer to the time when wheat planting actually gets underway. Yep, lots of weather challenges for sure. Bryce, thank you for the update. Good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks. Take care. DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, we're going to talk about beef exports, how our trade is going when it comes to beef as far as China, Japan, what's going on with talks with the EU and UK. Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. He's Senior Trade, uh, Senior Director of International Trade and Market Access. He'll be joining us next for updates. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn, soybeans, and wheat all rising in the overnight trade. Chicago wheat backing off in the first hour of trade on this Monday. There are expectations that China will keep buying this week. Crops may not be as abundant as previously thought. Friday's pro-former crop estimates coming in lower than USDA forecasts. Crop yields under pressure for a lack of rainfall, something that may change later this week. On the other hand, news that the FDA 
gave initial approval to blood plasma treatment for COVID-19, a positive factor for the outside markets. The grains an hour into the day. New crop November soybeans up four at 908 and three quarters. December corn up three and a half at 344. Chicago wheat December down a penny at 534. Kansas City December down three and a half, 453 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat December down two and a half at 526 and a half. Live cattle futures, October contract down 95 at 107.60. Feeder cattle, September down $1.72 at 143.12. Cattle and calves on feed, totaling 11.3 million head as of August 1st, according to USDA, 2% above a year ago. Placements, 11% above a year ago. And again, minus signs with October live cattle trending 95 cents lower, 107.60. Feeder cattle, $1.25 to $1.85 lower. Lean hog futures, October contract, $1.15 higher at 55.40. December up 65 at 56.10. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 262 points. Crude oil is up 31 cents. You're listening to AOA. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Happy to have with us now Kent Backus, the Senior Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Want to get an update on how our beef trade is doing. Kent, thanks for being with us. Everyone keeps a close watch on China and what they're buying, you know, corn, soybeans, sorghum, whatever it may be. What about beef? How much U.S. beef does China buy? Uh, good morning, Mike, and thanks for having me on the program. But, you know, we're looking at China. China is actually the one market where we're we're doing uh, significantly better this year. When you look at the uh, at the markets through the first six months, I mean, we're, our sales are up 80% over last year. You know, just through June, we've sold about about 54 million dollars worth of beef into China, and you know that's that's definitely a slow growth market. But uh, you know, you got to look at the fact that you know our our trade deal didn't really kick in until about halfway through that. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of progress. The other thing with China is you got to look at the demand that they have for protein right now. You know uh, what's kind of lost in the in in all of the uh, the issues around COVID and all the attention there is the fact that China still has massive massive shortages in protein with you know African swine fever you know sweeping through China. You know they're going through these uh, tremendous floods right now uh, all over China, and it's 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 actually you know eliminating a lot of their own uh, pork production over there, so they're they're going to continue to import just records amount of protein for the foreseeable future. And you know, while while pork is definitely benefiting probably the most out of it, they're also importing poultry, and they're they're importing a significant amount of beef. For us, that actually puts us in a pretty good position because our main competition into that market is Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, and Australia. Uh, well, when you look at Australia, uh, their prices are so high right now for cattle that they're almost priced out of the Chinese market. So there's room for us to kind of push them out of the way. 
when you look at Brazil, Argentina, and other countries like that, they're having problems with COVID. So they're actually getting delisted. There's going to be more opportunities for us in the Chinese market. So I don't, I don't want to be too bullish on that, but I would say that there are some positive signals for us in the, in the wake of, of all this uncertainty. Uh, but with China, this is, this is still a long-term game. It's a long-term investment. We still have to have you know, stability in that market. We have to, we have to be able to, uh, to have that consistent access. And I think that's where this phase one trade deal is really going to come into play. Well, you usually stay pretty cautious, so uh, if you're encouraged, I think that's that's a positive sign, and we'll keep a close watch here. Now, what about Japan? The U.S. China, uh, the U.S. Japan trade deal has been good, but has COVID impacted that? You know, I think I mean COVID impacted everything, as we all know, is a big gut punch to to our entire industry. Japan, surprisingly, for the for the for the entire year, has has been pretty strong. We're only about two percent down over last year. Last year was a really good year for us, even though we still faced that 38.5% tariff. Without of the, with that out of the way, I think Japan is going to be a really good market for us in, in the second part of this year. Uh, so I think that's that's very positive. You also have to keep in mind that uh, you know we're taking market share from the Australians in Japan, and that's that's a very positive thing. We're gaining all that back. That was ours to begin with. We lost it with BSE, but we've been gaining it back. And I think this is just a, it's going to be a, a better year for us in Japan. I feel I feel very positive about that. Uh, and and as far as the other Asian countries around there, I mean Korea, we've also seen a lot of growth uh, in spite of of all the disruptions from COVID. So when you you look at at what we have in Asia, it, it does look a lot better uh, than other parts of the world. Talking with Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, let's go to. Europe, and we'll start with the U.K. Any uh, movement on talks between the U.S. and U.K. on a deal? So the, uh, our negotiators have been meeting regularly with U.K. negotiators, and, and keep in mind, uh, the U.K. is trying to trying to leverage themselves. You know, they're the smaller party in their negotiations with the EU and the United States. So the you know the best way to play that is to you know is to kind of flirt with both uh, both sides and see where you can get the better deal. Uh, their talks with the EU have not been progressing as they would like, uh, and so they, they've definitely been, uh, you know, talking to the United States a lot more. Now we have some we have some major hurdles to get over because they've been under that EU mentality for 40 years. So I think that it's it's going to be, uh, you know, it's, this is not going to be something that happens overnight. But I think our negotiators have made a lot of progress. I think it's I think it's very bold to think that we're going to have an agreement by the end of the year. Uh, I, I still think that. No matter who wins the election, uh, just the the reality, the restrictions of of COVID and and other things like that, that it's going to be very difficult to have an agreement up and running by the end of the year. But I do think that we could have something, you know, uh, by early next year. Uh, But that all depends on on who's in the White House. You know, for President Trump, he definitely wants to see this agreement move forward. Uh, With Vice President Biden uh, and the Democrat ticket, you know, they've taken a different approach, saying they may want to step back from trade and really focus on, uh, you know, domestic issues. Whatever the case, I think that the U.K. is still a a very good investment for us. I think we have a lot of opportunities there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of just an untapped market with a lot of potential. But a much bigger challenge with the EU Oh, absolutely. I mean, with with Europe, uh, I, I, you know, if, if negotiating with the Chinese was was difficult, uh, I ain't seen nothing yet with with the EU. I mean, when when facts and science are are, are no longer uh, part of the uh, you know part of the discussion, then it, it becomes really hard to try to to nail Jello to the wall. But uh, with the Europeans, uh, I think that uh, you know, they have a great need. Uh, for uh, for trade, they they certainly do. Unfortunately for us, you know, we still face a lot of non-science based trade barriers into that market. Uh, some very you know high tariffs and then very small quotas. So it just makes it very difficult for us to invest in the European market at this point. But Europe is a is a you know is a, is a, there's a lot of possibilities there. And there's a lot of opportunities for them in our market as well for all proteins and all ag commodities. But that's not going to come 
you know that's not going to be a one a one way trade deal for them. They're going to have to play ball. They're going to have to actually embrace science, and that's going to be a really tough conversation. I think our our chances of a trade deal with the UK are much stronger than a trade deal with the EU, but that would be an important first step in strengthening our ties with Europe. Meanwhile, USMCA is underway, but we're hearing some trade issues in a, in a few areas uh, between the U.S. and Mexico. Any beef issues uh, we should be watching? No, I think you know, uh, you know, for for the beef industry, we're kind of the we're kind of uh, just the example of how North American trade should work. Uh, we have all three countries have been very successful under the framework of NAFTA that's continuing under USMCA. We produce, uh, uh, you know, we're able to provide the Canadian and Mexican consumers with beef year-round. They're also able to fill, you know, some uh, some uh, spots in our market too. Uh, for us, I think the important thing is that we have a strong sanitary and phytosanitary chapter in USMCA, so we're, we're not going to have politicized trade that you've seen in some of the other commodities. I know that the fruit and vegetable uh, folks are worried about some of the seasonality issues. Uh, you know, our potato exporters have issues trying to get our products, uh, you know, further than 16 miles across the Mexican border. There's a lot of other just arbitrary things that need to be sorted out. But beef is the example that when competitors can work together to find rules-based and science-based trade, then everybody benefits. And I think that's uh, that's that's the model that uh, other folks in agriculture are trying to follow. And I think that's really one point that that we need to continue to focus on is is how we can find a trade framework that benefits everyone. Kent, has COVID impacted our ability to supply our customers with the beef that they're wanting? Have we had any uh, real issues in that supply chain? You know, I think at the, the very beginning of COVID, with the onset of that, there were some disruptions. Uh, you know, we have a very efficient supply chain. And you know, obviously, with the packing uh, facilities, you know, being uh, reduced in, in slaughter capacity and in processing, that has definitely caused a, a backup in the supply chain. Uh, but also, just on moving uh, ships in and out of ports, you know, that was a big concern: is being able to to have enough lean trimmings to make uh, ground beef, but also to be able to send, you know, our offals to other markets. When you look at countries like Japan, Japan, you know, uh, accounts for about 89% of our beef tongue sales. We sent, you know, we've sent over, you know, 35 million, I think 35 million in tongues just this year alone. We got to be able to move that product because Americans, when they go to the store, even during a pandemic, they're not really looking at buying beef tongues and other things like that. So we need to maximize that value overall. Uh, we were able to troubleshoot a lot of issues and keep them becoming uh, even, even bigger problems because we have good relationships with other with other countries with our competitors uh but at the same time you know uh, there were some concerns about whether we were going to be able to move everything fortunately for us uh in the beef sector and the cattle sector we were able to to keep move keep moving cattle keep moving that beef uh, to our customers and we didn't have it as bad as some of the other commodities uh, with that said, that's something we're always watching to make sure that we don't have any further disruptions, and that's why NCBA has really been pushing to, to try to have, uh, you know, improvements in our supply chain and, and have more opportunities for us to sell and process our cattle, uh, you know, across the across the country. So hopefully, we'll be able to make some good changes that'll prevent us from going through some of these setbacks that we've seen during COVID-19. Great update, Kent. Thanks a lot. Good to talk with you again. Thank you. Kent Backus, Senior Director, International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Up next, we look at the apple industry. They're looking to bounce back this year, and they seem cautiously optimistic they'll be able to do so. We'll talk with the U.S. Apple Association President and CEO next. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners. Broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz. 1000 bucks. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. A toast to soil health. More and more landowners and their farmers are celebrating healthy soil for good reason. Because farmers who use soil health building practices like no-till and cover crops and who use diverse species and rotations report greater farm productivity, profitability, and resiliency. So here's to your soil's health. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn how to unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So there's a big debate on who should have oversight over gene editing of livestock. Should it be USDA or FDA? We're going to talk about that with Dr. Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us. Before we get into the oversight issue, let's talk about gene editing in livestock. Uh, explain to our listeners what that is and what's the significance of it. Pork producers are definitely very excited about gene editing right now. What gene editing is is a new... A uh, bag of tools, if you will, to look at making very precise changes within the genes of the pig or, or any other animal, cattle, poultry, you name it. To do that in a very precise way to have a very known effect. And I think what's really important for people to understand is, unlike some of the older technology, this does not involve swapping genes between different types of animals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you 
and prevent wildfires. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Coming off a challenging year, U.S. apple growers are hoping to rebound this year. Joining us to talk about it is Jim Baer, President and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Jim, good to talk with you again. Cautiously optimistic? Are you cautiously optimistic? We are. We've had a, you know, like most of agriculture, the last year has been pretty tough, and exports have have returned a little bit, still not where they should be, still not where they were uh, several years ago. Uh, our export volume was up 15%, uh, but the volume, the value rather was only up 7% because prices are, are down, and that's something that, you know, farmers across the country are always, are always dealing with. It's sort of a blessing and a curse to be so highly productive. We've, over the last 20 years, we're, keeping our production at about the same, but on 30% fewer acres, so it's much more efficient. But that also comes with trying to find markets for all those apples. And and so we're, we're, uh, we're hoping that some of the trade tensions in the next year can get put behind us and get us back into a situation where we're uh, exporting about a billion dollars worth a year, and that would be great. Where are you as far as labor is concerned? That's always a challenge for your industry, but certainly even more so during a pandemic like COVID. Yeah, that's a good question. And you're right, it's always a problem. I talk to farmers who almost every year leave hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of apples on the trees because they can't get people to pick them. And uh, people like you and I don't want to do that work anymore. It's hard work, but it's necessary work. We were, we were so excited last December when the House of Representatives passed a bill to reform the ag labor uh, for the first time since Ronald Reagan was president. Unfortunately, when the COVID virus hit, that meant that the Senate uh, had to turn its attention to only matters having to do with getting the nation's economy back on track. And so, unfortunately, the Senate's not going to bring up that bill this year and so we start over in 2021 uh where we left off and trying to get a bill through through congress and something that can be signed by the president and that ag labor is so important not just for for apples and other other uh, highly labor-intensive commodities but also for things like hog confinements and dairies and others that have never had a legal means of accessing uh, uh, immigrant labor. And so it's super important, and particularly in a pandemic, because uh, having to social distance means in a packing facility, just like in meat packing, little apples get packed into those boxes that come into your grocery store, and the people might be standing three feet apart, but now they got to stand six feet apart. Well, we just cut our productivity in half there. So a lot of, a lot of problems associated with the COVID that aren't apparent to the public, but certainly are painful to us. You know, you touched on something that I think is a, you know, a huge issue in this country and one that a lot of people just don't understand. We have people that are hungry, needing food in this country, uh, and yet we see stories, whether it's uh, hogs having to be killed or milk having to be dumped, or as you just said, apples uh, not being picked and rotting on the trees uh, and in fields. That's you know, various reasons behind that, but the bottom line is it, it shows these are, are issues that we need to deal with, and whether it's uh, COVID-related, labor-related, or they're interrelated, uh, these are key issues moving forward for producers and consumers. They really are, and for farm boys like us, I think it's always offensive that food is getting disposed, getting destroyed because we can't get it to market. And I just find that offensive. And so we continue to, we continue to press forward, but there's no apparent uh, solution in sight. And it just gets, get, uh, keeps getting tougher and tougher because people don't want to do those jobs. But frankly, we're either going to import the food or we're going to import the labor. And from my standpoint, from where I sit, I think given all of our natural efficiencies and productivity advantages in the United States agriculture sector, 
it makes a whole lot more sense to import the labor than it does to import the food. Jim, how has your industry, the apple industry, changed and evolved due to COVID-19? Well, the labor situation, which we already just discussed, uh, and also the the uh, just the markets, you know, a lot of apples ordinarily would be going into the school lunch program, but when the schools uh, went to virtual learning, uh, online learning last March and April, well, of course, that meant that those markets just crashed uh, for, for apples. Now, I will, I will uh, thank and congratulate the Department of Agriculture. They've been trying to, to uh, make up for that and help where they can by putting uh, farmers to families food boxes out there, and they usually have apples because they, they store well. And so it's, it's helped, um, but obviously, like every farmer in America, they'd prefer to have markets and, rather than government assistance. And so... It's not it's not a great situation, but we're hanging on by our fingernails, and that certainly has that certainly has helped. But uh, importantly, the third of our crop, which normally goes to export, that really was damaged because the ports were slowed down or stopped altogether. Not just here in the United States, but in the foreign markets where they also couldn't operate their ports, and you couldn't have grocery stores, uh, tastings, and demonstrations um, like we normally do to introduce foreign uh, consumers to our wonderful varieties of apples that they can't get anywhere else. So it was a really a ripple effect and uh, painful everywhere, but hopefully we've turned the corner and maybe we can get back uh, in 2021 to a more normal situation. We look forward to yeah, it. Yeah, let's hope so. Jim, thanks for the update, and uh, we uh, hope it will turn things around for your industry and others and uh, better times ahead. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Jim Baer, President, CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. With that, we wrap it up for today. Off and running on a new week. Tomorrow, an update on this trade dispute between the U.S. and Brazil over ethanol tariffs and also the latest on that small refinery exemptions issue as well. That and more coming up tomorrow. Hope you will join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us today. Be safe, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.